Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another week of the Romans Empire podcast and another episode without Sam Andres. Um, questionable for him to choose this week <laughs> of all weeks to not be on the show. But in all honesty, the poor guy is, is in the final stretch to take his uh, bar exam. So everybody sends him good vibes to Sam, who is going through a very, very stressful time. Yeah, shout out to Sam. Dude, he's been it, it's kind of crazy. It felt like he just started law school, but now he's uh he's already taken the bar, which is nuts. So best of luck, Sam. Uh we love you, buddy. Um Andres, speaking of stressed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Um well, I mean, I don't have to have the stress of hosting the show this week because um you have graciously offered to do so, which is awesome because I never really know how I do when I host the show. I don't know if I'm ever good or not. I just kind of <laughs> try to do my thing so have at it bud let's do it all right so we're gonna come straight into the west brom three chelsea three premier league match from this weekend uh, i just want to preface this by saying that i decided to wake up after a heavy night of drinking where i went to sleep at 5 a.m because i was at a bachelor party for this match excited to see chelsea take on a weak weak west brom but much to my chagrin we came out with only one point. So uh, we started with a starting 11 of Caballero in goal. No more Kepa. Reese James, Tomori, Thiago Silva, and Marco Alonso as the back four. Conte and Kovacic in the double pivot. Mount, Kai Havertz, and Timo Werner, the three attacking mids. And Tammy at the nine. The substitutes were Aspie and Cho at halftime for Alonso at left back and Kovacic meaning that we switched from a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3 that pushed Mount back to center mid. And later on, Giroud came on for Thiago Silva when the score became 3-2 to then change the formation again to a 3-5-2 with attacking wingbacks of Cho and Timo Werner. So Zach, uh, for today's episode, I really wanted to change how we talk about the match just because there's two of us. I wanted to start with a kind of a macroscopic perspective of the match your general thoughts of the whole match the 90 the tactics etc then we'll dive in to the specifics of what was probably poor and bad and finish off in a positive note because i think both matches did show some positives that we do want to highlight so i'm gonna go ahead and dive in because this west bromwich albion game just ruined me this is the most ashamed i've been of chelsea as a club in terms of a performance since perhaps the man city embarrassment under conte west brom is statistically the worst team in the league village literally stated he needs players if he even has a chance to to uh fight relegation and on our end our players were uninterested Frank Lampard blamed individual mistakes, saying tactics weren't the issue. But in my point of view, for a whole half, his quote-unquote tactics couldn't bother to even scare the West Brom defense. We were down 3-0 at halftime. 3-0 against West Brom. Unanswered points, or goals, I mean. And we had to come back in 45 minutes to score. The fight in the team was great in the second half. Fantastic. But if we are truly contenders, 
we should never put ourselves in a situation like this. The players should have more pride than this. Our manager should not think that our individual talent alone is ever going to beat a bad team, period. This match was more about dropping two points as well as kind of opening my eyes to issues I didn't think were there than this miraculous comeback that our Twitter account is is trying to pitch to us. You know, Andres, this is, um, I agree. I mean, I don't think we could be contenders if we're dropping points to teams like West Brom. It's, it's just that simple. Um, by far, uh, I think they have done not just the least amount of recruiting, but they need the most amount of recruiting out of any of those teams to even fight for it this year. So I think, you know, they're everyone's pick to go down. Um, individual errors in the first half, no rhythm whatsoever, possession without a purpose. I mean, you name it, the just issue after issue. Um, I thought the second half came along and it was a little bit different. We did look a little bit more dynamic um, when Cho came on. I think with a natural winger, it just kind of transforms the way we play because it gives us that natural width. Um, you know, Kai Averts got his assist. Timo probably should have had a goal or two, um, especially in the first half when when uh, when Mount squared it back to him. Um, and Tammy got a goal, which I think is big. So glass half full for a second. Cho and Tammy needed big performances, and that's what we got out of them. Now, glass half empty, at the same time, we did deserve the result. And by that, I mean it's two points dropped um, to one of the worst teams in the league. So are we contenders? I, st- I, I think it's too early to say we're out of it, but we can't have another one or two of these slip-ups and expect to be in contention come January because if we're following the trends of the Premier League over the last few years – the title is usually decided by mid-March. Um, so, you know, if we're seven or eight points back of first place come January, it's very, very unlikely that we'll be able to, to, to eat those points back up and um, and possibly overtake them by March. So it just can't happen. It's that simple. Yeah, and just to put it into perspective, Liverpool has already collected six points from both Chelsea and Arsenal. So already have to be kind of just aware of, of the fact that in terms of the top six, the team in fighting for for the top spot is undefeated and has already taken down two other competitors. But enough about the, the big picture. Let's get into the bad. And I think the first key thing that we need to talk about is just those individual mistakes in the first half. So the first half in general, three goals conceded in 27 minutes, all coming from individual errors. 27 minutes we were down 3 nothing to West Brom. The first goal was Marcus Alonso heading the ball right into the feet of West Brom as they're as all our players are pushing forward, we gift it to West Brom in the middle of the pitch with all their players facing our goal. One thing leads to another counterattack goal. What what were your thoughts on that first one, Zach? I mean, okay, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that I played, you know, at a at a top level but I mean I did play center back and that's the most frustrating thing uh, that could possibly happen not only conceding one goal um, but conceding two more shortly after that first goal Andres um, what the fuck is Marcus Alonso doing 
I, I, I don't understand that one. Individual mistake. Okay, put it behind us. At this point in the game, Andres, when that goal went in, I just sighed because there's a lot of game left. Okay, and I'm thinking we're going to lock our shit down. We still got Thiago Silva in the back. Whoops. There goes our <laughs> second goal. And the second yep. goal was probably the most – well, one of I, – I think this is the second most frustrating goal. I think the third one was the most frustrating for me. But the reason why I was frustrated with this is not because of the mistake by Thiago Silva because I think that's a, that's a one-off. And I think you and I could both agree yeah. on that. Um, but the closing down before the shot comes off. We saw Mason Mount make a very similar mistake against Brighton where he allowed Trossard to get on the inside, take one or two touches, and set himself up. The same thing happened with Reese James. He was backing into the box instead of stepping forward and closing down the space to prevent the shot. In that kind of situation, as a center back, I'm telling my right back. In, in the first goal? In the second goal. That, that was Christensen in the second goal. That was closest to the shot. Oh, the, oh, then it might have been the first goal. Well, whatever it is, Reese. It was a goal that came off the left hand side. The first goal. The first goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Reese James is the one closest to the ball because I remember it was on the left hand side. And I remember specifically seeing Reese James back down. As a center back, I would be barking at my right back to close down that space, force the guy to beat you off the dribble. Do not let him get the shot off. You force him to beat you off the dribble, or you force him to play it backwards. Mm -hmm. We didn't. We let him onto his left foot, and he got a shot off. Fair play to them. The third goal is what really gets me here, because not only did we lose the first ball, but we also lost the second ball. So that doesn't just show me that there's a lack of cohesiveness as a team to basically uh, suffocate the their set piece, but individual errors. I saw three players standing... And watching as two West Brom players attack the second ball. So I, that's to me that just comes down to effort and mindset. You concede a goal, you lace up your boots, you pull up your socks, and you put the ball in the center circle, and you keep playing. It's still early in the game. And you can't tell me it wasn't because yeah. we were three nil down and twenty seven minutes in. And and that's, I, I'm gonna just jump into my next point that I thought was bad, and that's. Lampard as a manager going into the beginning of this game we whether we got scored on or not you're right 27 minutes there's plenty of game time and there were no tactics at play it literally was pass sideways pass sideways pass backwards pass backwards maybe get a quick switch and Reese James finds some space in the front and crosses it in that is all we did in the first 45 minutes and you can't tell me that that's what we practice. I, I don't see this being what Lampard promised us in terms of tactics. And it's not the first time that when we concede first, it seems like we don't know what to do on the ball. I personally, you know my thoughts, and if you've listened to this, you know well and good that I believe that this four-two-three-one is way too static or we just don't have the right personnel for it. Because there is no sense of urgency from our midfield to get the ball up. In a 4-2-3-1, you're trying to get your attacking three that are behind the striker. Balls in space, in transition, 
Let them put the defense on the back heel. But we give them so much time. I, Alonzo, six touches before he releases the ball. Kovacic and Conte were taking all the time in the world. They would either maybe dri dribble past one player, and next thing they know, they step on the ball, sideways pass, backwards pass. That's not going to get you anywhere. And as a manager, I get that there's injuries in our team right now, but other teams have similar issues, and I feel like their identity is there. I, and I, I, again, talking about being contenders, we talked a lot about being, once again, in, in the top echelon of, of clubs. Barcelona, you know it's going to be a 4-3-3. You know what each player in midfield is supposed to do. You know what their fullbacks are supposed to do, what their wingers are supposed to do. Bayern Munich, 4-2-3-1. It is it, obvious. You have uh, Real Madrid, it's a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-1-2. Everyone knows what they're doing. Manchester City, 4-3-3 with sort of a false nine. Uh, Liverpool, definitely a 4-3-3 with a false nine. And they put in moving pieces all the time. And these guys get the job done. We're not Diego, jo Diego Jota played 20 minutes. He maybe practiced three days with Liverpool. And he knows what the hell he's supposed to do. I find it hard to believe that you add two players into this starting 11 that weren't there last season. Three with Thiago Silva, excuse me. And suddenly all 11 players don't know what to do. This is a big wake-up call for Frank Lampard that you can't wait to try to develop an identity once your players are healthy. You need to be creating that now so that when they are all healthy, it's the smoothest it can be. But right now, we don't have that. I, I saw a stat that says we've played a different combination of a back four at 40 different times under Lampard. That is so unbelievably stupid when you think about it in the big yeah. picture. That means zero cohesion. Zero uh, relationship of how the four people in the back play. In these two matches this week, we had two different double pivots. Two different double pivots. This was the first time that Werner played on the left of an attacking three uh, for us behind a striker. It's just, what are we trying to achieve here? I, I just think that, and I said this in the preseason, I want us to stick to a formation. I'd rather us fail in what we hope the identity is and see progress, then go through this roller coaster that we see so often at Chelsea of one week it works, one week it doesn't. And and this week made me realize it's not because of tactics. It's because sometimes our individual players can just be that good. And that is not good enough to be a uh, dynasty that is consistently going to be winning trophies. So my initial setup of this game is a bad for me on, on Lampard's part. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I I have to agree with you because, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. There there wasn't much in the first half, was there? I mean, Timo Werner had a snapshot. A couple Tammy of had one as well. Off, like a, Tammy had one as well, yeah. Um, a couple half chances of, you know, Reese James Cross or a Mason Mount overlap, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it was disappointing. Um, what I'm going to say is... I want to know exactly what the conversation was between Lampard and Timo um, when Lampard was trying to sell the project to him. Um, was it for him to sort of be like this inverted winger, which we're seeing a lot more of, we're, we're seeing a lot of strikers be kind of converted into this 
think Aubameyang has, has seen like a resurgence in his career by switching to the left, but is he a nine? Is he a winger? I think he's a nine. I don't think he's a winger, but at the same time, I think our best team has to have Tammy on the pitch. I just think right now, Frank is looking at our, at our squad and I think we're at a point where we have, he has to start making some difficult decisions and he has to start mm -hmm. having some difficult conversations. Um, I think right now he's just trying to appease everybody, and we're seeing it with you know the team that played against Barnsley, the team that played against West Brom, and the team that played against uh, Tottenham. They're completely different, completely different looks, completely different lineups, and just that inconsistency. It's hard to establish a sort of brand because now the players don't have a, a stretch of five or seven games where they're both playing on the same side as each other and they're starting to learn each other's tendencies and they could sort of play with their eyes closed. And Andres, I think that's what you're alluding to when yeah. you talk about, you know, the Liverpools and the cities and the Bayerns. They sort of have this ability to play with their eyes closed. Hell, even where, even Conte's three four three. Well yeah, yeah, but 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 again, Conte did not rotate that side. We had no Champions but, League football. Well okay. So, I, I get that we didn't rotate but, but, at all, but, but an eleven it just we, we need to have at least some consistency in our eleven. Yeah, we we ask know, this every I, I, week. What is our starting eleven? We don't have a clue. I, I'm completely agreeing with you. Like, my issue with this, with with the way Lampard's been setting these teams up, is that there is no consistency. We talked about it all last season. If we're gonna have problems with goalkeeper, then at least play this, play the same center back pairing, or play the same back four. You know, establish that sort of uh, a chemistry with each other. Every week is a different center back pairing. One week we see Dave on the right, one week we see Dave on the left. Some weeks Dave starts, some weeks he doesn't. You know, we've had Ben Chilwell for a while, and I understand he hasn't been completely, you know, or, or completely or fully fit yet. But now's the time. Ben, now if Ben Chilwell's fully healthy, he has to start every game. If yeah, Reese James or Azpilicueta's healthy, whoever's preferred on the right-hand side, they need to start every game. The two center backs, they have to be the same three or four rotation. We can't rotate mm -hmm. between five center backs. It's it's just – it's gotten to the point where he has to start having these conversations with players. And we're going to touch on Ruben Loftus-Cheek a little bit later. But I think that's barely scratching the surface yeah, because I'm right. looking at guys like – uh, and, and Andres, don't kill me for this. Kovacic. Oh, no. I, I'm, we're we're going to get to him. You mentioned Chilwell, and I think this is a good yeah. time to just jump into Marcus Alonso. And he was obviously awful first half. Yes, he had the individual mistake, which led to the first goal, but he was lazy tracking back, wasteful in possession. I, I mentioned it. It took him about 10 seconds to drop off the ball, to, to let go of the ball. I want to just... Talk a little bit about what happened at halftime. I know we're talking about the first half, but I think these things go hand in hand. Basically, Lampard pulls the plug and says, you're not coming back on. And Alonzo decides that he is too good to watch his teammates play in the second half from inside the stadium and decides to that the bus will be a good place to watch. And a source told The Athletic that players were saying they've never seen the manager to act the way he did after the game and it's the quote is that he kicked off after the game and he was going mad at Alonzo some players even talked about how they'd be surprised if he ever plays for Chelsea again period so I'll go straight into the question at Sherman dog 
asks, you know, with the Athletics publication on Lampard's Alonzo sort of meltdown, is this the end of him for the club? Do we are we now keeping Emerson over Alonzo? Ooh. Um, I hope not, based on what we saw today against Spurs. <laughs> so I mean, look, I think I think we're at the point where we're essentially fucked and we need another left back. And if Frank does what I hope he does and establish some sort of consistency in the squad, we're going to see some sort of variation of Reese James and Aspi rotating and Chilwell and Aspi rotating. And Aspi will just kind of be plugged in wherever he's that's needed. That's what I was going to say. I, I yeah. think, again, hoping for some identity. You know, yes, the flexibility of going to the back three is great and all. But if we finally have an identity, I think it makes more sense to an extent to have the young left back younger quote-unquote younger left back in Emerson who is a natural left back in a back four to Alonzo who could probably get a decent fee going to play wing back in Italy where wing backs are more prominent Uh, and I think like you said yeah Emerson played in Tottenham match today I think that's Lampard trying to get him minutes because Emerson is probably going to be a second or third option at left back over Alonzo moving forward. That's yeah. just my take as to why Emerson came on against Tottenham rather than shifting Aspie to the left and Reese James into the right. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, l- yeah. like I said, uh, we're going to need a left back. I think come January, <laughs> we're probably going to need another left back. If not January, we, we might be able to hold off till the summer. Did we, did we my ever loan is... out Ian Motson? <laughs> no, but, but that's the thing. Off? We haven't seen his name a lot, and Frank hasn't picked him for the cup matches or the cup squads, so yeah. I don't know if he's ready yet. I mean, it, it, that might be a telling sign. I know physically he's not, like, the biggest player, so maybe that has something to do with it. Um, but but my thing is, Andres, w- w- with the point I was making, is my concern is if one of those guys go down, then we're, we essentially have two useful fullbacks and two useless fullbacks. Um and, and then, at, and then at that point, we're just we're back to square one. Yeah, I mean, it's time will tell. I mean, we still have a couple of weeks in the transfer window. Uh, it's well know known that back. Chelsea's still selling, yeah. but I don't think we're I don't think we're signing a left back. It's just going to be interesting as to which one we keep. Yeah. Uh, the the last negative I, I want to get into is you're right. It's as the commissioner of the Cova crew, I need to be able to look in the mirror and and just be, <laughs> hey. That was an awful match. And if I'm being totally honest, Matches. it's been an awful start to the season for Mateo Kovacic. Mm-hmm. Like speaking as the season overall, I don't know what's going on, but I've never seen Mateo Kovacic just be so uh, lax to to just not force a pass forward. Everything seems to be sideways or backwards. I noticed it in West Brom, and it was even more obvious in Spurs match today, and we'll go over that more. But my goodness, man, I I was happy to see him. At first, I thought whenever the subcat happened at halftime that Frank was going to force Mount to play at a double pivot. But when I saw that we switched over to the 4-3-3, I was glad to see that. Uh, so, yeah, to me – that was probably Kovacic's worst match in the Chelsea jersey. Now, now here's the thing. 
Okay, we talked about Kovacic being probably our best player last season. I'm not toss. I'm not going to toss right. him aside. I mean, he still has a place no. in the squad. He's still going to be incredibly useful. But, oh, before before but, you go on with that, let's just go into the question because I yeah. think you're about to answer a fan question we have at M Conan1789. He asked after watching Kovacic and Mount against West Brom, do you think Kovacic has played himself to the bench, especially when Pulisic and Zia come back, or? Do you think Chelsea's going to sell him to raise funds for Rice? I just don't see space for him in the starting eleven anymore. In our best eleven, I'm gonna agree with that because I think you know if Frank's gonna stick to four two three one, which it looks like that might be the plan, you're gonna have any variation of Tammy or Timo up top, Pulisic on the left, Ziyech on the right, and Kai Havertz playing the ten. And then what do you need in order to solidify that attack? You need runners in the midfield. And Kovacic is a runner, don't get me wrong, but I just think for what we're trying to do, it makes a lot more sense to play Mason Mount there, um, who can do the full 90 for one, because that's an extra substitution every match. Um, and and two, he does have that goal threat. Um, and so teams are going to have to close him down when he's in and around the box. When Conte and Kovacic are in there, teams are very, very happy to sit in. And I think that's a problem. And we talk about it with Kovacic all the time. If this guy adds goals and assists to his game, he would be a top five midfielder in the world. But he's 26 it's now, not in his, and he doesn't have DNA. that. He is who he is, exactly. So I think Mason Mount would be better served in the side. I think Ziek and Pulisic are on the right and the left. Havertz at the 10. I mean, that's that's the way for me moving forward. See, with with Mount, I still want him as an. I I still think the move is Conte deep, Mount Havertz at attacking eight. You give Havertz slightly more of a, a freedom to move forward. But I think defensively speaking, they both have to come back. Or again, we pressure high with both him, and, and Mount at the eights. I think that's the correct move. And I think even Lampard might have learned that in the second half, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to finish off with Kovacic and this question. I don't think he's going to be sold. No. I still think, you know, he's very serviceable in certain matches, in certain situations. Maybe the transition from a midfield two, three to a midfield two is still an adjustment. He played in a midfield three in Milan and Madrid with uh, Sarri last season, even when Lampard started the season with Jorginho as the base and Conte and, and Kovacic flanking him. Maybe that's what it is, but it's been very poor start to the season. And regardless of Rice or not, or the guys being healthy or not, I hope we switch to a 4-3-3 that includes Conte, Kai, and Mount in the middle. That, to me, would make the strongest 11. Mount at the wing is serviceable, but in this very match, again, we're going to get to it, Mount in the middle makes more sense. So... I think it's a good time to turn it around to the good because we're 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 getting there, right? Yeah. We, we keep kind of hinting at at what good things happened, which are mostly in the second half. And, and in this order, I have to go back to Lampard. And I know I gave him shit for how he started and the fact that it seems we don't have a a kind of set identity. But in the second half, Lampard made the move, made the two subs of Cho and Aspie, and switched to a four three three. My preferred formation, it's a lot more fluid in attack because you don't just have one focal point in the middle in Kai Havertz at the 10. You have two, Mount and Kai. And in a team that has possession, there's no need for a double pivot to to guard the back four when 
there is nothing to guard. We have the ball. We're on everything. Lampard wants to attack more. You put Mount in more of his natural position. And what happens? From the beginning, we look substantially better. Way better. The goal for Mount, the first goal, comes from the fact that Mount was naturally already more central, took one touch, and took a shot from distance. If he's at the wing, it takes him three or four touches to get to that same position. Yeah, but he can. He, That's all he, it took was to shift him more to the middle. Yeah, but yeah, but he can do that playing a pivot too. But he, you're you're asking him to play a lot for. That's a lot more running. If you put him in a double pivot, well, that's exact. Like he's got a he's got a he's got a battery. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but in a if you put him in a three with Havertz and Conte, that is three guys that can press high and still track. Back, we haven't rather than telling Kai, no, you can stay up there and come back because in this formation, I thought Kai did just fine at an attacking eight as well. I'm not too sure about that. I haven't seen enough from Kai to think that he's going to do the hard yards. And and if you're gonna have, I, I I don't know. I just think if if we're gonna put Mason Mount on the pitch, I mean, what are you you're gonna use him for his best quality? And his best quality is closing down spaces. Stick yeah, him next I to Conte. I, as an I don't, eight or I don't think ten. anything gets past him. But no, but if if you put him as an eight or ah. listen, if if you play double attacking eights, you're one asking Kai to do a little bit more running. But two, you're also taking him out of central positions 24-7. Now you're, now you're starting to drag him out wide and it, sometimes dropping deeper to collect the ball, filling into the wide spaces. If you're playing in a 4-2-3-1 and Kai's playing the 10, you can virtually ask him to play as an auxiliary striker if you need it. It's a lot more adaptable. I, I, I don't know. Look, I, 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 mean, uh, I mean, I feel like we're comparing like lemons and limes because a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3 are essentially the same thing. But... I don't they, know about that. I mean, we looked totally different in they, this game. They could shift into the same thing is what I'm trying to say, all right? But look, I mean, yeah. going back but, to Kai yeah. really quick, because I do want to talk about the positive here. I mentioned it last week before we played, played Barnsley. I wanted to see Kai at the 10. He got a hat trick against Barnsley. He got a really nice assist to Cho, a little little one-two in the box. I thought he had a good game. I'm seeing a lot that I like from him. And, and, and I... I what I'm trying to say, Andres, is that I think we're better served playing Kai as a ten. We'll just be way more productive in the, attack in an attacking sense. That assist came in as an eight, though. I mean, that is the beauty of attacking eights. They have the license to get into the box. And the ten, the ten does. I also. mean, we've we've seen it with. I mean, I, but but then the ten is the only outlet for two double pivots who sit deep, which right now we don't have a good set of a double pivot right now at all. We don't have that option because yeah. Conte's not going to be your, your passing maestro, really... which is why I want him to have two options to pass yeah, out of the back. We... With Mount to his left and Kai to his right, we can transition with five guys instead of four. Into I mean, the I attack. guess only time will tell, right? Because we really haven't seen Kai play at the double pivot yet. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, uh, Ma- Mason Mount. I, I want to see it. I'm curious. I wouldn't mind seeing it for, for the weekend, to be completely honest with you, especially after the two outings. Yeah, the, the only double pivot... And I'm going to say it. The only double pivot I want to see if it's going to become a mainstay is Rice and Conte. That is the only double pivot that would make sense for me going into this season is if we sign Declan Rice. And I'm probably jumping the gun because a question is definitely going to be asked about him later on. But that is the only double pivot that makes sense to me because Mount, we've seen, is not a vocal leader. 
and in the midfield we don't have anybody else that can tell the guys the three guys in front of him to move or to go into a space to get that transition going or to turn off a pass like we don't we don't have that and so again that that's just my take like you said we haven't seen the the 4-3-3 yet because of personnel whatever you want to call it but time will tell but yeah I thought that Lampard setup going into the second half is is a big reason why we were able to to come back I still didn't like the switch to the three five two because I thought we had found a me very too. good rhythm. Okay, that that was so but, weird for me because right after Callum gets his goal, all of a sudden we're in a groove. Like we're creating chances left and right, and it just seemed like making no subs did Billich a favor more than anything. I agree. I think it kind of forced us into a weird thing. I know for a fact we have not practiced the three five two with attacking wing backs. I mean. It, again, it went back to a very one-dimensional offense. Our individual brilliance got us the third goal, which, again, I hate to depend on that because we can make our lives so much easier by just adding certain sets of patterns of play and that sort of thing. We got the goal, the third goal, so technically it worked out for Lampard. But, yeah, I, I thought that kind of hindered the possibility of even making it a 4-3 match. But the changes he made, the subs he made at half, did turn this game around, so I do want to give Lampard a positive because he is good at reacting yeah. as a manager for the most part. I think that his weaknesses still lie in the in the pregame setup, but more often than not, his changes seem to play out well. Yeah. No, am no, I wrong I by saying that? I, I I think he made necessary adjustments last season too. I think our criticism of last season was we didn't start with the right lineup, but we always finished with it. And Funny it's the same it's the issue same this season. season, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Credit the Lampard because he does he does make changes. And I criticized him last week for being too unreactive. And I think this week he was a little overreactive. But it was nice to see that he was reacting right away. You know? He, yeah. He could have easily just folded his arms and yeah, said this game exactly. is over. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's what that's the point I'm trying to make. You know, it's, it's a good sign. And yeah. I said it earlier, glass half full we did kind of fight for it, right? You know, it, it is it is a three-goal comeback, technically. Which brings us to the next positive. The guys that were surrounding in the fight were primarily Mason Mount, followed by Cho and Tammy. And look at that. They were also our goal scorers. Mason Mount created that first goal out of completely nothing. And the technique used to do that, to take that shot, was world-class. That shot is not an easy shot to make. It is not normal to put that much bend on a ball for it to dip and curve away from the keeper the way it did. And that act right there literally just literally just changed the, the game itself. After that, it was all Chelsea in a positive way, not useless possession. So I, I thought those three guys definitely deserved yeah. a shout. You mentioned Cho's goal. Very well taken. One touch it. in the box, decisive, knew where he wanted it. And, and same with Tammy. He scored the, the equalizer Poacher. right place yep. at the right time. If you see the replay, he's making the run expecting the missed yeah. catch from the keeper. And he's the only guy around the ball. And that's something you can't teach players. That comes from from just football IQ and and never giving up on it. They always teach you follow the shot as a kid. Some kids take it more to heart than others. And Tammy's one of those guys. He was right there. And if we're serious, he's always there when the goal goalkeeper usually bobbles a ball. He's kind of just waiting for his chance. He got it. 
Some players might have choked right there. Yeah. We get the draw 3-3. Yeah. Do, do you want to – any final comments on this match? No, because uh, the next – like, I don't even want to talk about the next match. So, it's the next match. Today's match was a Carabao Cup. I don't even know what round it is. At this point, it doesn't matter because we're sadly out of the competition. It was Tottenham-Chelsea. Pre-match, Jose Mourinho mentioned that this is the least important of three matches this week for Tottenham. He was going to approach it as such because the Europa League has more uh, pedigree. And, of course, the Premier League. You don't want to draw points early on in the season in the pedigree. In the Premier League, excuse me. Yet, we couldn't edge them out. So, for the Tottenham match, we came out again with a 4-2-3-1. We finally get to see Eduard Mendy in goal. Right back, Aspilicueta. Eduardo Mendoza. <laughs> yeah, South American flesh. legend Eduardo Mendoza, according to some. <laughs> <laughs> back four of Aspi, Tamori, Zuma, and Chilwell. A double pivot of Jorginho and Kovacic. An attacking three of hudson Adoy at the right wing, Mason Mount at the 10, Timo Werner at the left wing, and a striker was Olivier Giroud. 4-2-3-1 again from Lampard. A bit of rotation. We finally get to see the Zuma and... So, excuse me, the Zuma and Tomori partnership, which we haven't seen in so long. Zach, what were your... Big picture thoughts of this match. Much of the same. It, it looks like we could only play 45 minutes of good football. Um, in the first half, we had multiple opportunities to score and to put them away. Um, and we let them hang around. We were only up 1-0. Um, second half comes along, and it falls right into Jose's lap. I mean, he just uses experience and completely shut down our run of play. Um, Quote-unquote, park the bus, right? Um, and he got his equalizer to get him into penalties. It, it's so familiar for Chelsea fans to see Mourinho, Mourinho Chelsea. Um, and, you know, the thing that got me, and it also got me during the West Brom match, was the fact that we just, Andres, we act like a bunch of pussies when we concede a goal. And there's just no other way to kind of frame it. Um, right. When we concede, we not only concede a goal but we concede to our rhythm we concede our possession we concede our pressing all of a sudden we're sitting back and now we're up against it again and we saw it against West Brom they scored three on us against Tottenham I thought they were going to score on us again I mean I was the last 10 minutes of that match was I I, I, just full-on panic mode I really thought we were going to blow it um but it's frustrating And, and considering the amount of talent we have in the squad shit like this just shouldn't be happening <laughs> no it shouldn't at all and i just want to my a buddy of mine texts me and he goes i literally don't know half of tottenham starting 11 when somebody says that that we should have put this game to bed in the first half and once again our lack of just maybe tactics to break down a team or even just killer instinct and this time against a team that you when you put on the Chelsea jersey, you should be ready to murder them. Even if you're the weaker side, there should be just something inside of you that says there is zero chance I let these guys beat me. I alluded to it earlier. We we said Mourinho was ready to just throw in the towel in this match. 
honestly, the first half, the Spurs players looked like they didn't care. We could have put three, four goals past them. But instead... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I know Mourinho was winding us up at the end of the full-time whistle before the pens. He was hugging every single one of his players for a draw. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know. Mourinho doesn't go around hugging players. Tactics, tactics. Mourinho knew at that point, we've got them. Because you just said it. We act like a bunch of pussies when we concede. We just do. Aspie tried cheering up these guys, but it feels like (laughs) it was done. Aspie scores his penalty, and he goes straight to Mendy and tries to get them all hyped up. Which, by the way, Mendy is not at fault of any of this at all. He, but, he had but the zero final time thing, to study any of these players. Yeah. But but the last thing I want to say is we gave Mourinho all he needed to turn this game from a fuck it, let's lose to a fuck it. We can win without over exhausting ourselves. One nothing against Mourinho means nothing. He brought Harry Kane on at half and they looked like they were the team winning and wanted more goals while we did nothing. We came out in the second half like a whimpering dog with a tail between his legs. And the second half was atrocious. Like, thank God for Mendy and Zuma, because we could have easily lost the match in 90 minutes. Not Let alone the penalties. We could have lost this match just based on the 45 minutes that was that second half. So, could we do something a little different this time? Sure. I want to start with the good, because you brought up Mendy. And, it, and, and, and yeah. I got a semi when I when I heard that name. <laughs> hey, Eduard um, Mundi, our new signing Ren goalkeeper, got AKA the start today. Eduardo Menderosa. A.K.A. South American prodigy Eduardo Menderosa got the start today with the number 16. And Zach, I have never cheered for the most basic and average goalkeeping <laughs> technique the way I did today in my life. Yeah. I was excited for a keeper to jump vertically i was excited for a keeper to come out of a a high speed shot he punched three crosses he even punched one over zuma's head unbelievable huh even though even the one that he tripped and kind of missed he punched harder than i've ever seen keppa punch across it was it was beautiful and I, i i'm gonna tell you what you know he did have a couple moments where he kind of hesitated, and you could tell he got kind of caught in the moment, but he held himself really well. Um, and I think he showed more poise in this game than we've seen in the last 18 months from Keppa. So, fuck yeah. Eduardo Mendoza. Eduardo uh, Mendoza is already mm-hmm. responsible for 7% of all saves by Chelsea goalkeepers this season. Wow. One game? And he, I think, and I believe he had only three saves. <laughs> Yeah, technically Good speaking, Lord. because the crosses coming out on crosses doesn't count; those count as clearances. I believe the Regulon save counts as one. I believe Kane shot one straight at him, and the goal had nothing to do with him. We'll talk about that shortly. But the next positive, which was a huge omission to me, I, I didn't understand the West Brom match was Zuma. Mm-hmm. What a match today! Zuma came out and said. I am the biggest and baddest mother effer in this field in terms of physicality and getting to a ball. Well, he knows how to play against Spurs. Dude, everybody forgets he played the six against Spurs. In um, his Capital One Cup Cup final. final. Yeah, so he's no stranger to having a big performance. And I don't think it's a surprise 
that we're seeing more big performances from him. Andres, center backs usually peak late 20s, sometimes in their early 30s even. I think we're starting to see Kurt Zuma really start to peak as a player because he went from someone that we were thinking of, okay, we could turn him around for a good transfer fee. Let's sell him to Everton for $40 million last season to this season mm-hmm. being you can sell everyone else except him. Yeah. He, he, he's our no, best center. definitely. He's our best center back. I really think so. He and should be... Him and he Thiago should be Silva. the first center back on the on the table. Yeah, uh, it, on the, ahead on the of Thiago 11. Silva, even. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. I think agreed. that today, even he had a mistake where or Hudson, Hudson Harrison, however you say his name, Fernandez got the ball into the box, and Zuma had a last ditch tackle to block his shot. Got back up, had a second last ditch tackle, which prevented him from two one one v one and second. A clear shot on an open goal because Mendy had come out on that initial 1v1. He did that then, and he did it again in the end of the match. Literally, these two guys, Mendy and Zuma, had they not played the way they played today, we could have easily lost 3-1 to one in the second half. Yeah. What about Ben Chilwell? He gets his start, man. The, the future of left back comes in, starts, plays about 63 minutes, and I thought he did... So I, think, could, I thought he had a solid game. He played 63 he minutes only game. so he could play at the weekend. Of course. Fingers, that that, that was all a, a a move to get him ready for a Premier League match, Premier League ready against Crystal Palace. And, but I thought he was very good. I thought that Spurs were specifically pressuring very high on him, and I thought he handled the press fairly well. Mm-hmm. I thought he, he found himself in very good space when the ball was in the right field uh, side of the pitch and often Aspie or whoever had the ball found him wide open with an early switch that let him get into very dangerous positions. You know why? Because he's quick enough to get out there. Yeah. You're watching willing, him off willing the ball to run and the hard yards. It's just nice to see a left back that's mobile. You know, that left-hand side has been so slow for the last four or five years, and now we finally have a guy, and I'm not saying he's lightning fast, but he just gives us that little bit in, uh, 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 of not, I wouldn't say speed, but just quickness. Like, he, those first five or six yards, he could actually keep up with the winger instead of just getting blown by, which is nice to see. Um, yeah, and the other thing that surprised me about him was his aerial prowess. The guy's not very tall, but if, if my memory serves me right, the guy won – Every header he was fighting, corners, clearances, switches. I swear he was winning everything coming to his side, and I think that's a very understated skill because we, even though we we lack the height, if the guy can win the headers, even being a couple inches shorter, that's going to be huge. Yeah, for us. Yeah, uh, I thought that was that was a very important. And I know I interrupted you. Did you have anything else to add on on Chilwell? No. Um. Just the fact that I, I think he's very – he seems very grounded and someone that kind of meshed with the squad really well. Like first week he's in the club and he's already sticking his finger in Timo's mash. It's – you know, it's – it just seems like he's a great fit in terms of personality, character, and, and what he's going to bring to the side. So I'm excited. You know, I, I'm going to be the first one to hold my hand up and say, hey, look, <laughs> he, was, he was expensive as shit. But in the end, he was Frank's guy, and I think it's clearly obvious. He he seems like the new signing that came in and hit the ground running more than Tiago Silva for sure, Kai or Timo. Um, we still have yet to see Ziyech though, so yeah, something to look forward well, to. Well, 
talking about another new signing, we'll talk about Timo Werner finally getting his first goal for Chelsea. And to me, this goal started in a very funny way because we get a Aspie wins a tackle, plays it quickly to Havertz, who then, or sorry, to Cho, who then fights off a tackle and plays it back to Aspie, who's clear of Regulon. And Aspie does one of those. It reminded Sends me of sends his ass uh, back to Seville, clip. baby. Yeah, that that clip that was very viral of Lamar Jackson in high school stopping at the goal line and a defender flying by him like a fool, and then he just taking a nice little step into the end zone. Aspie fakes across, Regulon slides, and I feel like he just slides like ten feet past the ball. Aspie drives a, a cross low. Two people miss both Chelsea and the Spurs player, and Werner is right there. Quick trigger. Fantastic shot through traffic, low by the right post. Werner gets his first goal for Chelsea. If you watched Werner play at all last year, he scores a lot of goals with that same, in that same sort of position, taking a touch and a low driving shot to one of the corners. It it, it was just a great goal, and I think he needed it more than anybody because I think he'll be the first person to criticize himself. In you know we are still early in the season, but. He should have had two or three by now, you know, in the first couple games. It's just nice to see him get on the score sheet. So hopefully it continues. And I'm sure, you know, his good old friend Kai Havertz is going to remind him that he's got more goals than him already. So I'm sure they've got a little bit of a competition going there. Uh, But, Zach, I think it's time that we flip the script here and talk about some of the things that didn't go well for Chelsea in this match. Um, Again, I, I know that. Tottenham came out and played basically a 4-5-1, a very low block, maybe mid-block 4-5-1. But in the first half, Chelsea could not pass the ball past midfield. There was zero creativity, zero just willingness to push the ball forward for at least the first 20 minutes or so. And, And again in the second half where... We just swing it back and forth, left to right between the defense. It gets to the double pivot. They try to move forward, and then they just go right backwards. We, if Sari was our manager, they would be calling for an axe after something like that. There was nothing going forward. And and that was, like I said, it happened at the beginning of the match. Then we created a little bit in the first half, and then again in the second half. For the most part, except for two counterattacks, same thing. Very lax on the ball, very sideways, very backwards. Why, why, why is this happening, Zach? I, th- I, th- I just think it's a lack of cohesion again, Andres. You know, we don't have not just a set way of playing, but a set core of players that just kind of start game in and game out. You look at all the great teams, even when they rotate aside. If you want to men- even if you want to mention Bayern, when Bayern rotates aside, they're really only mixing and matching four, maybe five players. That's even drastic. I would say four mm-hmm. players might be pushing it. Um, but every game we're we're constantly rotating our team, and I think that's you could attribute that you could attribute part of it to that. The other part is there just didn't seem to be any sort of fire under their ass to go and get the result. Like it's fucking Tottenham. What other team do you want to be playing against to light a fire under your ass? This is this is one of the most numb, numbing losses to Spurs that I've ever felt. Um, yeah. 
One, because I was on a call uh, with my boss for <laughs> most of the first half and about half of the second half. Um, so I couldn't, like, watch, watch. But two, um, because Eric Dyer literally left the pitch for, like, three and a half minutes to go take a shit. Oh, my God. We had a hockey power play. And, yeah, we basically had a power play, and we couldn't capitalize on it, for one. And, two, um, we can't make fun of him now because we lost. Eric, yeah, I, I was ready to type it in was Eric the Diarrhea. Perfect, it was the perfect – And we lost diarrhea. it. Eric Diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You know what? I'm going to call this – we're going to call this podcast – we're, we're going to title it something with Eric Diarrhea in it. Because, I'm not going to lie to you. The first thing that came to mind when he stormed off the pitch and then Mourinho followed him, I was like, man, I wish would this would have made it to the all or nothing. Because oh, I have never man. seen a player just say, hey, boss, I'm about to shit myself. I'm out. You know what the funny thing was? I didn't see it as it was happening. Like I start – because, again, I was on a call. So I started watching right when Mourinho was like mouthing off and storming down a tunnel. So I thought he got sent off for a second. I'm thinking, oh, fuck yeah. Me too. Mourinho definitely got tossed. And then I turn the volume up on my computer. I mute my phone, and then I hear, "Oh, and you know, Jose Brino seemed to follow Eric Dyer into the facilities." I was like, "What?" That was the wild, man. Fuck, that was weird, man. That was very, very. It weird. was. Yeah, we couldn't capitalize there, and but we can't and I was make fun make of him for it. No yeah, means. We can't no really gifts. say much. It's still hilarious, but he even posted on his Instagram a picture of a toilet that should have been said the real man of the match. That should have been Chelsea's Twitter page. Uh, yeah, it should have been. But, yeah, speaking of the, the fact there's no cohesion, man, I don't know what happened because last season, whenever everybody was hurt and we were playing the 4-2-3-1, we talked about how the Tomori-Zuma-Cerner back partnership was great. And the other thing we would always talk about is how the Jorginho-Kovacic double pivot was working back then. Yeah, but this weird. season, bad. So bad. I, I mean – Talk about! I really want to see their heat maps, like of completed pass, not heat maps, the, their passing charts, because I bet you there's maybe a total of seven passes forward. The rest of their seventy to eighty passes were sideways or backwards. Coming from the double pivot, where your your sole job is to protect the back line and transition into offense, that is not good enough. Not good yeah. enough at all. I I just. It was it was shocking, and and I don't know what the deal is there. It's it's frustrating because we talked about it. Kovacic, player, reigning player of the year, Jorginho, vice captain. You know where it looks like he's not going anywhere, but both of them are falling into the falling further and further down the pecking order in my mind. Well, from what I'm seeing, like, the idea. Go ahead. What I'm seeing, Andres, is you know when we talked about Kovacic and Jorginho being you know like like a really good pivot, which we did talk about a lot. Um, it was in the beginning of last season we were sort of on fire, just kind of picking up wins left and right. Once things mm -hmm. started to go sour, we never saw them playing at the double pivot again. So it's been a while since they Fair played enough. with each other for one, but two, I think the more important point here is that other teams know that we're there for the taking now. I don't think other teams are as intimidated by us now at this point, you know, before we establish chemistry and get healthy and everything, uh, as opposed to last season when we were scoring three, four goals a game and just moving teams aside left and right. right. I definitely think there's a no, psychological and I think... aspect in the other team's mind like, hey, they can be got at. 
you know, we no, and and two years and two years of tape proves that Jorginho defensively is is a cone. Yeah, you just dribble around. He's him. a cone, and, and yeah, he's literally a cone. No, he he's is like one of those free kick dummies. No, and and the sad thing is, is that he should know this, and at times the guy makes these like horrific fifteen yard sprints to try to pressure someone when he's probably the last person who should be breaking his lines. Yeah, he gets caught in no things man's like that. If if he was a Mourinho player, oh my god, the crap he would get in the locker. He's room. not a Mourinho player. Like, he goes rogue. Uh, obviously yeah. not. I'm just saying he goes rogue and it it, it can be really yeah. bad. Um the the next guy I want to talk about was our MVP last match. But Mason Mount in the second 45 of this match it looks like somebody told, put a, a something in his ear and Ross Barkley was controlling him from from the bench because at a time when Spurs were coming in hot there were two progressions of, of Chelsea one was a counterattack where he found the ball on the left side 2v1 where he played the absolute worst attempted pass to a team over in parallel to him where the ball literally Found a direct path to the right foot of, I want to say Davidson Sanchez or Tenga. Yeah, I think it was Davidson Sanchez, if I'm not mistaken. But the point is, 2v1. Awful. And then there was another one where he could have played Timo on the ground diagonally from the middle of the pitch where Timo was drifting left. Plays him in the air. Oh, no. Are we thinking of a different one? Second half. No, no, no. The diarrhea, the diarrhea feat is the one I was thinking yeah. of first. It wasn't Tenganga. You're right. It was straight to Dyer. The second one was also in the second half, and it was he tried playing a ball over to Timo into space instead of on the ground, and Timo had a hard time controlling it. Had he played that on the ground, Timo finishes it one time, like one touch, not even going to take a control because he was so close to the six-yard box. But, again, a bad pass in the air. The, 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 the need to force that. Those are two things that you rarely see from Mason Mount. You know, he never... One thing that we always talk about Mount is that he doesn't overcomplicate things. He's never going to try to dribble past three players. You know, if he sees space, he's going to take the shot. If he sees a cross, he's going to cross. Like He's not going to try to scissor, do 15 scissors before dribbling past yeah. someone. But in today's second half, it's Again, just no. totally opposite that's performance. That's when you have a, a, you know, a team that's not playing cohesively anymore. You kind of get these, yeah. you get these half chances in these moments, but you're so out of rhythm that either mentally or physically you just can't do what you want, right? And, and you make bad decisions yeah. again in the final third. We had chances to put them away still. Even though we talk about how poorly we played in the second half, there were still opportunities to score. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. Right. We could have, we could have, the way that Spurs could have put the game into like over and beat us we had the chances too and i can argue that ours were far easier if we just did the simple things and, and yes you're right these players haven't played with each other and i know we had a short off season but something tells me that if we had more sessions of x's and o's and if we're in the situation do this something a little bit more concrete like not as concrete as and and hard and and to the t as, as sorry but just hey guys some of these situations let's try to do this because this started back in the Brighton match and even in the Brighton friendly with, with runs that Loftus-Cheek could have got assists with or Barkley could have gotten assists with. <laughs> the passes that we should be getting to Timo Werner aren't getting there. 
And so that's a little frustrating. Yeah. And it's frustrating that Mount, who we just praised for a fantastic match against West Brom, suddenly didn't have one here. And, and even more, unfortunately, he missed the final PK, which stinks yeah. because I don't think he's the kind of player that is going to, you know, let that hang over him. But it's just the, the cherry on top of a bad performance for him. I hope he just kind of pushes this to the side. But, man, it was just a lot for Mount. And, and he falls into our bad today. Um, yeah, I felt really, I felt really bad for yeah, him, especially but, with the penalty miss and everything. And I think the thing that made it worse than anything was watching Tanganga put his arm around him and like right. console him. It's like, bro, you're never gonna win shit again. Like, don't act like you're gonna make a legit cup run at this. Come on. Yeah. Um. And the final, yeah, the final I, bad I, is the the one thing um, I want to finish with. It's the bad, the reason we lost this match, and it's Emerson. Simple as that. The back line felt secure, felt good for 60-plus minutes. Emerson comes in and literally can't be – let me – our British listeners correct me, but I believe the term is can't be arsed to do his job and actually yeah. defend in the box because he, he literally is staring at Lamella 10 yards back away from him just like, oh, that's supposed to be my guy. Nobody was around yeah. Lamella. Nobody else was missed in coverage. Tamori He's and done, Zuma man. were both on their men, and they got so close to even getting on a jump, just showing their athleticism of that cross. And Lamella, He's... by himself, back post. This is not something that went straight at the keeper, so it's not on Mendy either. It was on the fact that we did not cover our men, and that is a one-on-one situation that can be pinpointed on Emerson. Yeah. I think we this isn't the first time this happened. You say he's done. No, 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 no. He's done, Andres. He's done here. He's done. I'm erasing him from my memory. Man, Good luck I just think wherever you wind up next. I think that at this point, Lampard is stuck between a rock and a hard place because the the, the Alonso thing is is more of a toxic to the locker room thing, but playing Emerson is more of a toxic to the field performance thing. So it's a matter of. <laughs> Hey, I think what Emerson did to is be toxic a to the locker man. room. I mean, that's a guy that got called upon and couldn't be fucking bothered. He did absolutely yeah. nothing against Spurs, as he's done in most of his Chelsea career. Like, I'm not one for going out and bashing players, but, like, this is a guy that, yeah, he hasn't necessarily thrown a hissy fit, but let's keep in mind, it's the highest paycheck he's ever been getting in his life. Right. But when he gets called upon... He doesn't perform like all these other guys that are getting linked with moves away. They at least come in and show some sort of effort. I I, I just don't understand that. And I don't understand. And especially completely. after what happened this weekend, you would yeah. think, oh, snap. This thing happened with Marcos. He's probably out of here. Time for mm-hmm. me to come in and lock the number two left back spot down. That's me. LB2 in the depth chart. Now he has a chance to get back in the squad, and he just didn't fucking take it. So and now you know, Aspilicueta is most likely going to be our default backup on either side of the pitch. On either side, yep. Because in hindsight, twenty twenty, hindsight twenty twenty, Lampard probably will never make that sub in a one zero match again. He will move Aspi from the right to the left and bring on Reese James. Yeah, we will never see Emerson come on for Chilwell. Or uh, another right back come on for Reese James, defensively speaking, if we need to close out a one-goal match. Yeah. I think the lesson was learned today. I think so, too. Anyways, that kind of settles it. The penalties, I mean, 
the penalties were the penalties. Those are going to be 50-50. Mundy didn't guess the right direction, so we don't know how hard his hands are on shots from point blank, unfortunately. A lot harder they than went Kepa's to... based on those three <laughs> saves. Those were fantastic saves and great punches too. But heroics and the penalties, those come and go. Neither keeper made a save. It literally took a player to miss. So penalties are penalties. A very big shame that we're not in the in the Carabao Cup anymore because it could have given these other players a, chi- a chance for rotation. It is what it is. We'll move on to the Twitter questions. And Zach, I'll let you take over from here. Dope. So um, I know this week we didn't include Ron's thoughts and Nick Lenartson's thoughts. Um, there was a I'm lot gonna... of Andres and Zach thoughts, though. Th- there were. There were. Um, but I'm going to ask a question from Ron. I think it's a really good question. So he says, uh, with another international break, oh, by the way, it's Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, Supreme, etc., etc., Zar Ron, King of the Rep Ultras. Uh, with another international break coming after this week's match, do we sit Ziesh and Pulisic another week? I can't wait to see them, but want to make sure they're 100% to go. I, I personally, Andres... I wouldn't mind maybe seeing them be more cautious with them at the weekend. Maybe a substitute appearance. Maybe they're good for 15 or 20 minutes. I definitely don't want to see ZS just kind of thrown into the starting 11 because he hasn't played in the Premier League. And -hmm. I don't want to see that from Pulisic either because I think we learned our lesson from last season when we rushed players back. Um, Yeah. but, but, But what's your take? I think that we need to beat Palace with the players we have now. After the last two performances, Lampard can basically give them an ultimatum. Hey, this is your last chance to prove to me that you're better than Pulisic and Ziyech because they are going to be back fully fit when we yeah. get back from this break. Simple as that. Ziyech and Pulisic are not going to feature in their international break. So they're for sure going to be back once it's over. And we have enough options to beat Crystal Palace. I want to see these guys who have been here playing so far three matches in the Premier League Earn a damn win on their own. Show us that you know you can do it and you want it. It's it's really that's, not asking that's my much. take. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not asking much. Um, at CFC, Dylan asks, "We knew when we signed that he wasn't a world class manager, but do you guys think Frank is the guy to take us forward? It seems he has no real game plan or game management at the moment, which of course comes with time. But questions need to be asked." I still need him. I still back him to take us forward, but I just had to ask. Okay. I'll let you take this one, Andres, because yeah, so, we have the so same views. I'll, I mean, I started, I mentioned it in the very beginning. I think that Lampard needs to look at himself too. I think that while, you know, it was a breath of fresh air not to see the same robotic movements under Sari, I think that now Lampard is doing the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And it's not good to rely on individual talent and just letting the boys play uh, the same defense under sorry versus Lampard Lampard conceded more goals. Yes. We scored a few more, but now this season it, it looks teams are afraid of us. So they're even more, even the higher steam teams are, are setting up a low block and we're not even moving the ball past halfway. I think Lampard needs to choose what our identity is going to be. And start putting his players into specific roles. I get that Mason Mount fills many gaps, but he needs to be played as a center mid in some way. Werner is probably the only one that right now that can do a hybrid of winger and forward. Havertz needs to be in the middle of the pitch. 
Chilwell and Reese and and or Aspie need to be at fullback. You need to pick what your number one pairing at center back needs to be. None more of this, oh, you know, I have five center backs, so I'm rotating. So one week it's Christensen, one week it's Sumo, one week it's Thiago. No, 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 no. You have a preferred two. Go with it. We need to start finding those pieces. Once we see finally what our identity is, maybe that's when we can judge Frank. But so far it's been experimentation after experimentation, and we just don't know it yet. I think that it's a little early to do so, but it is fair to question it. We're not saying that Lampard's not the right guy, but it is fair to criticize. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think it's early to talk about Frank in in, in that respect, and, and I think it's kind of disrespectful in a way. It's still it's it's way too early, man. Um. All right. Well. I mean, I know there's the Twitter question section, Andres, but I included some team news in here. Um, big news about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, Frank had some uh, had some words to say about it, actually, um, and about the rumors of him leaving. So in case anyone's been living under a rock, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek has actually been linked with loan moves to uh, both Aston Villa and West Ham. Um To be honest, after reading these quotes, it looks like it might happen. So Frank said, quote, I'm very open with Ruben, and we've had a couple conversations in the last week. There's a possibility that he may go out to play games because I think that'll be great for him. We told him, and we hold him in very high regard here. I certainly do, and that could be a good option for him. If that's not the right option, he'll be competitive in this squad as well because of the qualities he has. I'm relaxed about it, but I want to find the best path for Ruben and the best path for us. So at the minute, we'll see with the week we've got ahead of us. Interesting, right? Yeah. So we had a great follow-up question from our buddies uh, over at the Bridge Pod. Um, they asked, and this is actually tying those RLC exit rumors: Would signing Declan Rice but allowing Jorginho to leave permanently and RLC on loan be considered good or bad business? Oh, I I think this is good business. I think Lampard has shown his two preferred formations include a natural DM. And at this point, technically we have one in Conte, who nobody really knows what Conte's true position is because he plays either at a box-to-box or a DM. He's great at both, but he's the only one that does it properly. Getting Rice in, who would bring a vocal person to this team, and I can't stress this enough, it is missing desperately. And someone who also knows how to progress the ball from the defense to the attack rather than diddy-daddle with it while also allowing Loftus-Cheek, who is highly regarded within the team and within teams in the Premier League. This is a guy that will definitely get minutes in a Premier League loan. It's an English Exactly. This guy can go to any team outside of the top six, arguably, and be a starter week in and week out. And I think that's what Frank is alluding to. An Aston Villa. And who's the other team that was linked with him? I'm blanking out. Crap. Uh, West Ham. West Ham and and Aston Villa. Both of those teams would benefit from a Loftus-Cheek playing. Weekly minutes would prove that Loftus-Cheek still has it in him. Or in the contrary, maybe that is his level. And we find him at home. Mm -hmm. Like, one way or another, this would be good. This would be good business. I mean, I'm all here for it. I think his words are pretty telling. You know, his ideas that... RLC will be better served somewhere else, and Chelsea will be better served using that squad pot, squad spot for someone else. I still think he has qualities to succeed at Chelsea, Andres, but 
if this lone move happens and he doesn't set the world on fire wherever he goes, he's gone. Especially especially and, if we and, do and side I think rise. the lone move I think the lone move is us actually opening the door and showing him the other side and just saying like, Hey, you'll get some playing time this year. You know, get a taste of whatever club you go to and, and we'll kinda see what happens. Um, but there is a follow-up question from our good friend at Luke Adam. Huge shout-out to Luke Adam, and you guys will find out why um, in the coming weeks. We're going to keep that a secret for now. Um, he asks, do Chelsea need to sign a center defensive mid before the window closes, even if it's not Declan Rice? So, I mean, Andres, I'm going to take the lead on this one. I think if we saw anything today against Spurs, it's that we could definitely use someone else there. <laughs> um is not working. Uh, the Kovacic is not natural defensively. No other player we have. We we don't have another defense first midfielder um, that's capable of playing. You know either the pivot or the six. So I think it's important that we bring someone in um, just for squad rotation sake. But we also get the added bonus with Declan Rice of you know him possibly blossoming into a center back later on, um, which is something that could be appetizing for Frank and the club. We brought Thiago Silva on um, as a stopgap. It would make a lot of sense to bring in Declan Rice. We could use him as a six, plug him in at center back when needed, um, and then possibly look at him as our long-term solution there. So, um, But besides Declan Rice, if that deal doesn't go through, it's hard to see any other deal happening just because we haven't been linked with anyone else. Yeah. It's 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 a lot like the Chilwell rumors where we didn't hear any other names for a very long time. And, and that's the other part. I think... It's been made very clear, and even Fabrizio Romano alluded to this. Chelsea has changed their transfer strategy from saying, oh, if I can't get option A, I'll get option B or C, to no, it's option A, or we wait till we get a new option that we agree upon. So to me, yeah. it's either Declan Rice or nobody. We'll, we'll have to find a solution elsewhere, with whether it's in the academy, That's what it feels uh, like. Billy Gilmore potentially being healthy again. Switching between a four-two-three-one and a four-three-three with just one holding midfielder, the, the options we'll we'll have to create options elsewhere is what I'm trying to say. So to me, it's either Declan Rice yeah. or but or, or none. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a question from a first-time asker. I don't know if he's a first-time listener though, but at Quadwo hit us up and he asked, "What do you guys think will happen to the left-wing position when Christian Pulisic returns?" with Timo Werner also favoring that position. I don't know if Timo necessarily favors that <laughs> position. I think Timo's one of those guys that's just really not going to cause any sort of rift. Like, he didn't cause any problems with Leipzig when he left. He kind of told them, hey, look, he told them last summer, actually, hey, I want to leave. No, look, we got Champions League football. We could really use you. And, you know, with his German lisp, he said, okay, right? Um, I don't know if <laughs> you have to of say that he has a yell. German lisp. <laughs> Yeah, he does have a German lisp. It's a, it's very obvious. I like it though. I think it kind of suits him. Um, but I think Pulisic is is our left winger. And he was our best. He was our best player uh, attacker actually after Project Restart. He's the reason we um, kept fourth place. That's not underselling. And and yeah, and he's yeah, our number ten. Gonna, yeah, of course. Yeah, and he's American. Did we mention that? That makes him more qualified automatically, dude. Automatically. Yeah, automatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But but I think something that's actually going to help Pulisic's position when he comes back in, oddly enough, is what we're seeing from Cho um, in the last two games. I alluded to it a little earlier. 
when we inject the natural winger into our side, it just looks way more fluid, doesn't it? No, we look way more dangerous. One hundred percent. We're all of a sudden spaces started opening, start opening up in the midfield. Now defenders are starting to back off of us instead of step up to press yep. us because now we know now we have pace in the wide areas as opposed to playing mount there, for example. Um, it spreads out the I, field. No doubt. Simple as that. Yeah. It. Yeah. Exactly. So I. I'm all for it. I think Pulisic is on the left-hand side. I think Timo's up top. Um, Ziyech and Cho and yeah, on the right. I, mean, I think that's yeah. Ziyech and Cho on the right. Yeah, I, I I think that's all there is to it. No, I um, I 100% agree. I think that that spot is for Pulisic. I think you you nailed it right on the head. Right now we're playing makeshift players on the wings. Even Timo to an extent uh, is a makeshift player because you alluded to it even earlier in this pod talking about how sometimes it looked like whether it was Timo and and and. Uh, Tammy or Timo and Olivier Giroud were making very similar runs on the pitch, yeah. and it's just it's the just the number space. nine nature. I think mm-hmm. once we have our you know Pulisic healthy, I think Timo and Tammy are going to be making very similar runs at different times. I think that Timo is supposed to be our starter with Tammy as our second option, or heck, maybe it's one of those things where it's like kind of a Gabriel Jesus. Aguero situation where they're all both going to be playing a lot and nobody really knows who's going to start. Um, that's what I'm thinking because it's, it's that's honestly what I'm leaning towards. Cause like Tammy and Tammy and Timo look good playing together and Tammy and Kai look really good playing together. We didn't talk about that, but yeah. there, there's just no way we could fit them all in without playing some variation of a four, four, two. And then that completely eliminates our wingers right and so i think that it's Pulisic on the left Werner or tammy up top again flip of a coin and on the opposite side you have ziek in, in the best case scenario or even cho cho's been playing on the right he's done just fine i think that the wingers again mount drifts centrally kai playing at the wing is going to drift centrally Werner at the wing is going to drift into spaces our nine should be going to we need guys that are going to have their heels on the touchline ready to get the ball and pounce on a defender. Just go at them. Make them nervous. Pulisic was fantastic on and off the ball doing that. I think that, yeah, it's, it's only a matter of time, and I think that he is supposed to be a nailed-on starter. I think Lampard has plenty of tape and proof at this point. Rather than saying he needs to adapt, I think that Pulisic has made his mark in the Premier League already. So I saved the best uh, tweet of the week for last um shout out to Kirill's medvedev i'm sorry buddy we we always send out our questions tweet um while he's asleep um i don't know exactly where in the world he is i um, don't want to get this know. wrong I'm but very, it's not the key isn't curious. it the ukraine i don't know i don't know Kirill's w- 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 hop on the uh hop on a discord chat and let us know i'm actually kind of curious um but he said fuck spurs and i think that's the <laughs> overarching theme of this whole entire podcast and you know Talking about Eric Diarrhea and the Jose antics and all of this shit. Um, the fact that we lost still sucks, but in the end, yeah. it still fucks Spurs. And and Zach alluded, just mentioned our Discord. So guys, if you are constant listeners and constant contributors to the question section, you will get the benefit of being added to the Discord when our, our, our rep ultra czar Ron notices that you've been, you know, active with our community and again guys this is free of charge if you are a listener of ours or even if you're a twitter person that likes just getting debate going on chelsea related tweet at us i don't think we're mean people i think that we're pretty open to opinions heck ask we, the rep we, ultras 
We just we, shoot the shit, man. Yeah, and during game day or match day, like it is one of the most fun things to see those messages. We even have a fantasy league that we started for those guys. It, it's a fun thing. So if, if you're you know one of those guys that maybe right now because of COVID can't meet up with your local Chelsea uh, fan club to watch the matches at a pub or you're new to football and Chelsea's now your team, start hitting us up. We'd love to add more people to the community. The Rep Ultras are great guys and and yeah, the match day, the match day chat is always a good time. It is. It very well is. Um, how about this Palace preview? Yeah, let's knock it out real quick. Palace is currently sixth in the table with two wins and a loss. They had a, a, a very famous victory against Manchester United. Uh, they've allowed four go- or three goals and scored five. So goal differential of two. The main man is still Wilfried Zaha. So I don't surprise, surprise. there's it's it's early it's early in the season to to start trying to say, oh, this is how they play and this is what to expect. Let's just flip it over here and what do you, Zach, want to see from Chelsea specifically in this match? I want to see an early goal and I want to see a clean sheet. <laughs> oh like, god. It, it, I, look, I know I'm asking for a lot, but uh, it, it's gotten down to the point where if we're going to be title contenders, we got to start pulling these results out. I know it's early days in the season. I know other teams could still drop points, but recent Premier League history has told us otherwise. The top teams just yeah. don't drop points. So um, we can't afford to be doing that. And Palace are definitely one uh, bogey side for us that we do struggle against every so often. And, uh, hey, at least Mishi can't play against us. Yeah, well, Mishi can't play against us, but like Zaha was a Chelsea killer a <laughs> couple seasons ago. Um, I don't know, man. I just I, I want to see an early goal. I just want to see us come out of the gate swinging and just on our A game. Just nick one somewhere between like the tenth and the twenty fifth minute. Get an early goal and just kind of suck the life out of the game from there. I I just want to see like that disciplined solid win is that too much to ask <laughs> i don't know i guess we'll find out saturday i uh i'm gonna be a little bit more specific like, i want to see like Go an ahead. adesanya like, like an adesanya-esque win right <laughs> just kind of like flawless and then w- w- with or without the thrusting at the end doesn't matter <laughs> the the daggering <laughs> did you see I, that uh, it was i did that was ridiculous uh i'm gonna be a little bit more specific here's exactly what i want to see i want to see mendy and goal Chilwell at left back, Zuma and Thiago as center back, Reese James at right back, a midfield three of Mount, Conte, and Kai, Werner on the left, Tammy up top, and Cho on the right. That's what I want to see. If we played Project Restart with attacking eights that involved Ross Barkley week in and week out, and this man was quote-unquote, to an extent, semi-balling, this new brand Chelsea should be able to do that tenfold and again I think this will be a little bit more fluid to a very stout defensive uh, palace so this will let us get in there more and maybe create a little bit more just give me the 4-3-3 with attacking aids please just please give me that I just or or a flu or a more fluid performance in the 4-2-3-1 because I'm ready to bin it for good so that's all I want just actual movement forward not so so much of this backwards passing dribble a couple steps forward turn around and pass it back but i want that starting 11 one way or another do we do we dare give predictions 
I mean, I kind of predicted the 11, but sure. Give me your, give me your bonkers prediction of the palace Chelsea match this weekend. It's not so bonkers. I know I said I wanted a clean sheet, but most likely it's not going to happen. I'm going to say two, one Chelsea going into the international break. Okay. I'm going to say that either Tammy or Werner are getting a brace in this match. Hmm. I like the sound of that. I think one Hashtag one or the Tammy. other is going to be getting a lot of space, whether it's Werner in behind from wide or maybe Werner catches so much attention that he's able to then find Tammy in the middle. But I think one of those two guys is going to have a big game this weekend, and I, and I hope for it. I hope so. Well, until next week, um, that is the end of our show, man. So hopefully we get three more points in the bag. Keep in mind, guys, there is an international break coming up. I know, fuck us, right? Like, there, there was literally just one international break, and now we have another one. So um, probably until after the international break, keep the blue flag flying high.